We've come to a transitional period in the Bible. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9, would you please? We have been looking, um, in the last few weeks, we've been looking at hearts. Um, It's kind of been a theme from chapter 6 and chapter 7 to chapter 8, and now here in chapter 9. We've looked in particular at the hearts of uh, of four different men. Um, We looked at Stephen, and his life, as you well know, took off like a rocket ship, and just was a short time. He infuriated some of the religious leaders. They became angry with him. They tried to argue with him and reason with him. And and he, being led by the Spirit of God, confounded them. They became angry with him. So they brought in false witnesses against him. And they ended up killing him. You remember, they ended up stoning him to death. His life was, was snuffed out just like that. On the other hand, we met also who was one of the seven that was chosen to kind of take care of problems within the church with the Hellenistic Jews and the widows. We met Philip. And we saw Philip's heart. And Philip's heart was just amazing. He he was... He was so on fire for the Lord and he was ministering in Samaria and Judea after there was a persecution and the church dispersed. If you recall, there was a, 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 a scattering of the believers. And, and do you remember how the scattering took place, why it took place? Stephen was stoned to death. And it was just one verse and it was a simple verse to miss. And we, we've tried to explain it. Maybe you've forgotten, but maybe you have not. I want to remind you. Remember, after he was dead, it says they, they was implying the church, gathered around and they loudly lamented. They loudly wailed. They loudly cried over his body. Now, that doesn't seem so unusual. He was a loved man. But there is a problem. In the Jewish law, you could not, you were forbidden to loudly lament in public over the execution of a criminal. And what they were saying defiantly by lamenting loudly over Stephen, where they were saying to the religious leaders that you have just killed an innocent man. That so infuriated the religious leaders that at that moment in time, they started going not only to the church, not only to the synagogue, but they were going from house to house, dragging those that believed in Jesus Christ, and they were putting them in prison, and they were putting them to death. And so this scattering of the believers took Philip and so many more into Judea and Samaria. And there in Judea and Samaria, they were having an impact on the people in that community. Philip was doing so many wonderful things in Samaria in some of the surrounding villages that out of nowhere an angel came to him, remember? And an angel said to him, I want you to go on the road to Gaza. I want you to go on this desert road, not telling him what he'd see, not telling him anything. And Philip immediately arose and went. I mean, it was like, it was like telling them to go out in the middle of the desert. Who and what's going to be out there? When in fact he had a wonderful ministry in the villages in Samaria. But on the road to Gaza, he comes across this Ethiopian eunuch. And do you remember? He'd come running alongside of his chariot out of nowhere. I mean, this Ethiopian must have thought, where in the world? How did he get here? And he runs alongside of his chariot. He's reading out of the book of Isaiah, the Ethiopian eunuch was. And Philip, running alongside of his chariot, said to him, 
Do you understand what you're reading? Remember? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? In other words, how can I know what I'm reading unless someone teaches me? Tell me, he says, this prophet I'm reading out of Isaiah, is he speaking of himself or is he speaking about someone else? And then he invited Philip into his chariot. And Philip, the Bible says in the seventh, no, 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 the eighth chapter, says Philip started to preach to him about Jesus Christ. Along that road, somewhere along that road, they came across some water. And the Ethiopian looked at Philip and said, What is preventing me from being baptized? And Philip said to him, Nothing except, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And he professed with his mouth and with his heart, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, I believe he is the Messiah. And so they stopped the chariot and they put him down in the water, if you remember, and Philip baptized this Ethiopian eunuch. And it said at that point in time, all of a sudden, Philip disappeared from his sight. It was a miracle how he came and how he left. And it goes on to say, and this Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing in the Lord. And so what we see is what God said was going to take place. A very outline, a concise outline about the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, Jesus Christ said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's chapters 1 through 7, in Judea and Samaria, that's chapter 8, and to the uttermost parts of the world, which brings us to chapter 9. From chapter 9 to chapter 28, we see by the hand of a man who is the name of Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes Paul, we see through this man the, the ministry and the gospel of Jesus Christ go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, why I so love Saul, Paul, is because of who he is. We're going to learn this morning that he was a bad person. He did some terrible, despicable things to some of the, the Christians. He had them murdered. As we're going to learn this morning, he... He, uh, he caused them to, uh, to he, he tricked them into blaspheming, he said, so as to kill them. What makes Paul so critical in your life and in my life, at least for me, let me just say it this way, makes it critical for me and I hope it will for you. In the Bible, we are told that we are to conform into the image of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to get my arms around. Because our Lord is, is perfect, and, and I mess up so often. And I, I'm wondering, how can I be like this? Well, Paul also says, I want you to follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. And that I can get my arms around. I can get my arms around Paul because... If you'll see the life of Paul, he was a rascal. He was a scoundrel. He did despicable things. And yet, look, we're, we're going to look at it next week, but I do want you to see it. Look at Acts chapter 9. In, in, in Acts chapter 9, we're going to see another comparison of two different people. Again, it's going to show us 
what's more important as far as God is concerned? Is it, is it what, a, what the world says uh, success is? Is it what the world says uh, is, is an impact for the Lord? I'm here to say to you that every single one of us here, if we just desire, will have an amazing impact for the Lord. We will do as God would want us to do. How big and how grandiose or how small, that's between, as we've already taught a couple of weeks in a row, that's between God and us. That is His business, not ours. Our only call is to be faithful. And so we see here in the book of, of Acts, in the ninth chapter, in the 10th verse, we're going to see this next week, but let me just kind of remind you of it because it's it's. It's astonishing what happens. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Folks, this is the only time he is mentioned in Scripture. This was his only only place in Scripture to be obedient as far as we can see it unto the Lord. And he did as the Lord asked him to do. He kicked and, and scraped a little bit beforehand, but he did as the Lord asked him to do. You see, as I mentioned to you, Paul, Saul, really saw was a very mean individual. He had people killed. So Ananias was there, and in verse 11, the Lord said to him, I want you to rise, I want you to go to a street called Straight, I want you to inquire at the house of Judas, because a man from Tarsus named Saul is there praying. He is seen, verse 12, in a vision, a man named Ananias, namely you, Ananias, come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered and said to the Lord in verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here now he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. In other words, you're telling me you want me to go and do this to him? This guy is a very mean person. He has had people killed. And you're asking me to go? And the Lord said, yes. I want you to go. Paul, by his own writings, I'll tell you what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul calls himself the chief of all sinners. Chief of all sinners. Means he sinned more than you and me. He calls himself, as we're going to see today, the least of all the saints. Now he's writing that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he is writing is not false humility. He is looking at himself and just lamenting over his life. Think about it for a moment. Think about it. I do. I think about Paul a lot. I've told you already, I cannot wait. When we, when we get to heaven, I am, I'm so looking forward to seeing the Lord. I'm so, I just want to see what it looks like. Don't you? I mean, just what, what's this like? What is it like? But one of the first things I do after I kind of soak in all of that is I want to find and seek out Paul. I want to see what does this guy look like? What made him like he was? Let me tell you what is so special about him in my mind's eye. As we're going to learn today, he tricked people into blaspheming so he could bind them. He could take them bound to Jerusalem to have them slaughtered. And he voted for them to be killed. Then he became saved. He became converted. He became a born-again believer. And not only did he become converted, he then started teaching those people that he persecuted about the wonders of God, about forgiveness, about grace, about mercy, about compassion. He taught them these things. 
And don't you know, in the Bible studies that he had, there would have been a person here, a person there, maybe a person there, and a person there, and a person there, that if they got personal with Paul, would say, Paul, you had my mother and father put to death. Do you ever think about how he laid his head down at pillow at nighttime? And what must have gone through his heart? And how many times he must have thought, I can't go on? How can I go on? These people, I've killed their parents. I've had their parents killed. And yet, what God says of Paul, and I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to show you by the Word of God that He calls you and me the same thing. He says to Ananias, Look what he says to Ananias. He said to him, go, verse 15, go. And I'm going to teach this again next week. Go, he says, because he is a what? He is a what? God called him a chosen instrument of his. I could put my arms around him. I've fallen short too. I bet you have too. And I think I can understand the, the agony that Paul must have experienced when he tried to teach people whom he had their parents killed of all things. Maybe some of the parents, he had some of their, their children killed. And God calls Paul a chosen instrument of his, of God. And so are you. And so am I. And so is Ananias. All Ananias did was went and laid hands on Paul. But I am here to say to you, as I'm going to teach next week, that Ananias was just as important in the cause of Christ as Paul, as far as God is concerned. Because if Ananias had more to do, God would have had him done it, do it, accomplished it. God used Ananias exactly as he desired to use him and use Paul, exactly as he desired to use him and uses you and he uses you and you and me exactly as he desires to use us if we will just go and go and, and be used by him. And so this is why I, I'm so in love with this place in Scripture. This place in Scripture is going to teach you and me so much. And it's not just chapter 9. It's going to be ongoing. It's going to go through the end of the book of Acts. You're going to fall in love. I guarantee it. You're going to fall in love with Paul as well. To see what a man he is. See how he has been used by God. And so we've looked at hearts. Stephen, Philip. Remember Simon the magician who thought he could buy his way into heaven. And, and, and Peter said to him, May your silver and your gold perish with you. You cannot buy, you cannot buy this. It comes by faith. And then we saw that wonderful Ethiopian eunuch who I'm now convinced he started a movement in, in Africa and in Ethiopia and those places like, like no one else. Churches, huge, large, wonderful churches. And I believe he was the catalyst of it all. But today, we're going to look upon a person, we're going to start the journey of looking upon a person named Saul, who will soon become Paul, that could probably be the most uh, 
the greatest change of a life in all of history. There's no transformation that, that has been made that is, has such far-reaching uh, implications upon the world in which we live. And Paul was perfect. He was the perfect call. I'll tell you why. Look with me. Hold your place here. Look with me at Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. I'll tell you who Paul is. By birth, in Acts chapter 21, Paul confesses that he is a Jew. That's by birth. Acts chapter 21, look at verse 39. It says, Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. He used his Judaism to speak to the people. But by citizenship, he was a Roman. Look at chapter 22. Look at verses 27 and 28. The commander came and said to him, see that in chapter 22, verse 27? Commander came. Paul was in prison. And they scourged him. And we're going to learn about this when we come to the 22nd chapter. I'll remind you. They scourged him. But they had no right, they meaning the Jewish, had no right to put a, lay a finger on a Roman citizen. And Paul was a Roman citizen. Look. Look at verse 27. The commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? And Paul said, yes. I'll tell you, the moment he said yes, that commander shuddered because they had scourged. Well, look back up. Look, uh, look at, look at uh, verse 24. The commander had ordered him to be brought to the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging so that he might find out the reasons they were shouting against him that way. They stretched him out and they scourged, scourged him. And look at Paul said, it is unlawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned. Listen, they could have go to jail and the same thing could happen to them that they did to Paul. And when they asked Paul to get out of the prison, they thought they'd sweep this under the table and let him go. He said, I'm not, no, I don't think I'll go. Bring him in here. He says, I want them to know I'm a Roman citizen. And he scared the dickens out of them. I can't wait to meet this guy. I can't wait. He is so feisty. He did not leave simply. He said, no, no, bring him here. I'm not going anywhere. I, I'm not going to leave the prison for a while. Because he was a Roman citizen. By education, look at 20, this 22nd chapter, the third verse. He was a Greek. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but I've been brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. And so by birth, Paul was a Jew, and by citizenship, he was a Roman, and by education and by philosophical ideas, he was a Greek. He was the perfect person to go to the Gentile world. But by faith, would you please now turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. By faith, Paul was pure, a Christian, and he understood what he had. Listen what he says in Philippians chapter 3. It's to the right. You'll go past, uh, you know, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, and then Philippians chapter 3. If you start reading in verse 3, it says, uh, we, we are the true circumcision. We who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although, Paul says, now he's going to give you his pedigree. He's going to tell you who he is. Although, he says... I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. 
If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. What he is doing is he's reasoning with you right now, whether you know it or not. He's reasoning with you, thinking if you think your religion or you think your upbringing or you think something has you qualified to put confidence in who you are, Paul says, I have it more than you. Now, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Remember, remind yourself of this. Here he tells you what, why he has more confidence in you. He says in verse 5, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I was circumcised and I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. Knew the law backwards and forwards, folks. As to zeal, he says, I persecuted the church. As to the righteousness which is of the law, I was found blameless. Folks, that's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is saying, as far as the law is concerned, as far as doing what I was supposed to do, as far as I know, I'm blameless. And so he could stand head and shoulders above any and all of us. But here's what he says. Verse 7, 8, and 9. Absolutely love these verses. You might want to mark them. Whatever things were gained to me. In other words, all of this that I have as a pedigree, all of this that was a gain for me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, he says in verse 8. I count all things to be lost at the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Folks, no hidden agenda. It is my purpose and my hope in life is that you and I will sense that verse 8 is a verse that we can cling to. That all the things of this world would be lost to us for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. He goes on to say, and verse 9, And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Oh, wait. Do you remember what he said in verse 6? According to the law, he was blameless. But he says here in verse 9, No, not having a righteousness of my own which come from the law, but that which is through faith. Faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. What Paul is saying is what I'm going to say, say over and over again is that the righteousness that you and I have is meaningless, the things of this world, apart from our faith in Jesus Christ. That's everything to you and to me. We must have our faith grounded in who the Lord and Savior is in our lives. And so we've been, we've been kind of going through the process of preparing our hearts, of having good soil so that when the seed comes, when we hear the Word of God or when we read the Word of God, it takes seed within a heart that is, is a good, soiled heart that only comes through reading the Word of God that will bring forth fruit in your life and my life. Some of us a hundredfold. Some of us sixty. Some of us thirty. It doesn't matter. You're going to learn over and over again. It's not the amount of ministry you do. It's your heart while you're doing it. Because no matter what you do, you don't do it on your own. It's God who gives it to you. And so if He gives you this much, then that's, that's great. But if He gives you this much, that's great. And He's not going to judge those that do this much better than those that do this much because He's the one that dishes out what we're doing. He just asks us to be obedient to what He's asked us to do. That's all He asks of us. It's all. 
And so this place in Philippians gives us his pedigree. Okay, let's, let's go back now to Acts. And let's take a look at the ninth chapter. We're just going to take a look at the introduction of Paul. So significant is his con- conversion that it is recorded in the book of Acts three different times. Here in chapter 9, in chapter 22, and in also in chapter 26. But also in Philippians. But in chapter 1, as we've already noted, in verse 8 is the, the outline of this great book we're studying, the book of Acts. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, and we'll be witnesses of our Lord in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so in chapters 1 through 7, we saw the gospel was preached in Jerusalem. And Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached a message that, that 3,000 souls came to believe in the Lord. And there started the church. And there, folks, is why you and I need to understand the book of Acts. So that, by the grace of God, we can allow our church to be conformed into that image rather than trying to conform Christianity into what we think church ought to be like. And church is simple as far as God gave orders to the apostles. We learned in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I can't believe I remembered this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, I want you to be continually devoted to the things of God. And those were four things. The teaching of the apostles, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. That's what a church is all about. All the other things are things that we might do. But those are not the things that are essential to the church. Essential to the church is the learning and the teaching of the apostles' words. In other words, what is written in here. That's why I harp on us that we can't go to a church. And I'm gonna, we're gonna, someone's going to read you a, a, a two different emails that we received of a person in Florida. They used to come to our church. And they went to Florida... Um, and they can't find a church. I've been everywhere. So that by accident they found up my line our church, and they'd come to our church before when I was at, a, at the other place. And by accident they found out um, that now we're called the Rock. And so they're now taping and downloading our messages, and they're starting a Bible study. And she's getting with her friends and said, "Now this is what a church should be like. Listen." Listen to the teaching of the Word of God line upon line. It's, 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 it's the heritage of what you and I, what we have done. It's, it's what you allow us, what you, what you force us to do because you want and you hunger for the Word of God. You don't hunger so, for, for so my philosophy on religion. You don't hunger for that. Yesterday we had basic rock and it was just a, it was such a wonderful time for those that came Thanks again. It's a, it's a time where we kind of talk about what we are, who we are as a church, and, and where we want to go, and, and how we all can be a part. And, and, and near the end, we have a question and answer time. And, and, and a young lady asked a question to me that I just, I can't get it out of my mind. She says, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty for the Word of God. I'm thirsty to do things of the Lord in this church. And I thought, my God, what a statement. What a wonderful, beautiful statement that we would all thirst for the things of God. I'm telling you, you people are, are so wonderful. I just love you more than I can say. And so the gospel in, verse, in chapters 1 through 7 was in Jerusalem, but then the gospel moved in chapter 8 
because of the persecution, as we already explained about Stephen. It moved into Judea and Samaria. We saw it through Philip and others. And then in, out, of, out of nowhere comes chapter 9. And out of, out of nowhere, chapter 9 records the most monumental event in the history of the church. And that is the conversion of Saul, who would be God's apostle to the Gentiles. Don't look it up because I'm near the end of the message. But in, in, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, Paul says this about himself. Listen. He says, to me, talking about himself, the very least of all the saints, under, this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he calls himself the least of all of us. I already told you why. For the, for the most part, you and I have probably killed all the people that Paul killed in the name of, 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 of goodness and coming against Jesus Christ. He says, I am the least of all the saints. But he says, this grace has been given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Therefore, from chapter 10 to chapter 28, Paul takes the church from Jerusalem, from Judea, from Samaria, and he takes it now to the uttermost parts of the earth. And no one was better suited than Paul. As I've already mentioned, he was a native of Tarsus. Therefore, he was thoroughly acquainted with Greek culture. He was also a citizen of Rome, as I've already mentioned. Therefore, he fell under their, uh, their orders. He could go and come and go as he wanted as a Gentile. But also, he was trained in a trade. He was a tent maker by, by trade. And when he'd go to places and he, he didn't have support help, he would, he would help by... By, by mending tents and, and helping make tents to make a living so that he could preach the gospel in that community. What I do want you to look at is Acts chapter 26, and we're going we're gonna to basically kind of close with this area. In his testimony to Agrippa, this is what Paul says of himself. He articulated his hatred and the fierceness of his, of his assault against all believers. Look at Acts chapter 26 and verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, Then I, I thought to myself, this is Paul telling Agrippa, King Agrippa. He says, I thought to myself, I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Hostile to the name of Jesus. You remember when Paul was going down the road to Damascus? I'll remind you again next week. And as he was going down the road to Damascus, he gets knocked off of his donkey. And, he's, and he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Do you remember what the Lord said? Why are you persecuting who? Me. He said, not, not why are you persecuting all these Christians. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? You see, the Lord takes it very personal when someone does something against one of his children. He takes it as this, but he's, you were persecuting him. So Paul says here, I did many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only, he said, did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them, saying, kill him. Kill him. That's why I said to you when we began, can you imagine his heart? When he's doing a Bible study and this person seems to look at him a little strangely and he gets him aside maybe afterwards and said, what's up? So well, you, you killed my dad. 
Can you imagine how he would lay his head down on the pillow that night? Realizing that he had an impact. Look what he does though. Not only did he lock them up, not only did he cast their vote for them to be killed, but look at verse 11. He says, I punished them often in all the synagogues. He said, I tried to force them to blaspheme. In other words, he contrived that they would blaspheme. Tried to force them into blasphemy so that they might be killed. He says, being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Let me tell you something. When the persecution broke out in Jerusalem, the church scattered, as we've already learned. The religious leaders in Jerusalem seemed, we learn from Scripture, seemed to be satisfied that the Christians now were out of Jerusalem. They left it alone. Not Saul. Not Saul. He says, I kept on. I pursued them even into foreign cities. And what he did was, we learned in verse 1 of chapter 9, he was still breathing threats of murder, and he went to the high priest, it says in verse 1, to get a letter so he could go to Damascus and use his authority to take anyone there in Damascus, bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem so they might be murdered. He was pursuing them even into foreign lands. The reason he had to go to the high priest because the high priest was like the president of the Sanhedrin, so to speak. And so the high priest was viewed by the Roman world, by the Gentile world, as the head of the Jewish state. Therefore, having a letter from the high priest gave Paul the authority over all Jewish internal matters, such as this, bringing people back so as to be killed. So Paul, it says in verse 2, needed the letters from the high priests, so he could go to the synagogues in Damascus and bring back any that belonged to the way bound back to Jerusalem. When it says the disciples, he's talking about you and me. And then we are called the way. You know, of all the titles that we have of our faith, the way to me seems the most appropriate. We are called... In different places in Scripture, you can look it up. Well, I'm going to close, but you can look up. We are called the way of God, believers are. We are called the way of the truth. We are called the way into the holy place. That's in, if you were to look in, in uh, Acts 18, 2 Peter 2, and Hebrews 10. You might want to mark those down if you want to look at them later. I'm not going to give them to you right now. We are the way of God, the way to God, the way of the truth. And we are the way into the holy place. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 that you and I have the ability to confidently, confidently go before God and make our requests be made known to Him. But perhaps the most famous of all those things of the way is John 14:6. You know it. Jesus Christ was questioned, Who are you? And He simply said to them, I am what? The way? The truth? I love you. And the life. But he didn't stop there. And this is why we as Christians seem so narrow-minded. Um, some would say we're very, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, uh, you know, just biased, I don't know, narrow-minded. That's as good as I can get right now. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. He narrows all of religion into one little entrance place to God. 
Those aren't our rules. Those aren't our regulations. That's His. Now, Jesus is either telling us the truth or He is deranged. He is a lunatic. To say that nobody can come to God but through Him, He didn't stutter when He said it. He meant it from the bottom of His heart. And He has proven over and over again that He is exactly who He says He is. So you and I had best listen to Him. And so when we are called the way, that is a wonderful compliment. We're the way of truth. We're the way to God. We're the way into the holy place where we can go to God and pray confidently and boldly and ask Him for things that no one else has the right to ask for but us who are children. I mean, really, I've heard once, I think it was, um, gee, I'm really on a rabbit trail on this one, but I, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld was making a joke about, you know, when kids come over and play at his house, he doesn't take care of the other kids. It was the kind of a, a routine he was doing. He says, he only takes care of his kid because that's his kid. The other kids are other kids. Let their parents take care of them. And I thought when he made that joke, I thought, you know, we're the Lord's kids. He takes care of us. You and I can go boldly into his, in his, his uh, holy place. And He'll listen to you because you're one of His kids if you've come to believe in Him. And Jesus says, this is the way, this is the truth and the life. You don't come to my Father. You don't come to God unless it's through me. And so we will be very narrow-minded here at this church about that. We want you to come to know Christ. Not because that's our plan, but as we study the Bible, that's God's plan. Thank you so much for today. Let me say before you leave, and we've gone about five minutes over, I ask your forgiveness. Um, thank you for three of the most glorious years of my life. Um, I, I mentioned yesterday at, at the rock, basic rock uh, thing we do for the people that come. That I'm not going anywhere. This is, this is where I want to die. I want to, want to minister here as long as I can. And when I start to drool too much, just push me aside. You know? <laughs> I made mention before at the other church that I'd never leave. I meant that as much as I could ever mention anything to you. Circumstances happened that were utterly out of my control. That's all I'm going to say. If you ever want to hear more, I'll tell you if you want to hear. And so I don't want it to be a hypocritical thing when I tell you this is my place. This is where I'm at. I'm not going to do radio. They don't ask me much anymore. They used to. Certainly not going to do television, not with this face. I'm not going to write books. I'm not going to go travel to other churches and preach conferences. I'll tell you why. I only have so much energy. And my energy is going to be poured out to this place, to you. I love you with all my heart. I love you more than you'll ever know. So it's not my desire to go anywhere. It's my desire to be here. You've given me life. I thank you for it. I'll never, ever be able to repay you, ever. But I'll try. The rest of my life, I'll try. Father, I want to thank you for Saul. That he is, of all things, a chosen instrument of yours. But as we're going to learn next week, Father, you also call us that. We, too, are chosen instruments of yours. And Paul, who did the most despicable things, Father, having people killed, most of us here in this room, have not done that. And he did it with a 
with a heart that was mean. He, he forced some people into blaspheming so that he could convict them and kill them. And yet you call him a chosen instrument of yours. I can wrap my arms around Paul. I relate. I just ask, Father God, that you would place within my heart, and I pray that everybody here would pray the same thing, that you would place within our hearts a desire to watch, to serve you, to walk with you. As is learned from Saul, it's not how you start. It's how we finish this life called Christianity, this, this thing called the way. So, Lord, bless us. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you for these three years, Father. They're more than any of us could have ever asked or, or reasoned about. You're a very gracious and kind God. May we honor you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I went ten minutes over. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have a great day. I love you so much. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for being here. I do love you.